This is Casey Hendrickson on News Talk 95.3 Michiana's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3 Michiana's News Channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. If you're looking for a used vehicle, used car, truck, van, SUV, crossover, sometimes they even have more like motorcycles, go to rvcarcompany.com. Again, they got their their full inventory, their special promotions right there on their website. Uh, an Indiana man, another Indiana man, another one. The D.C. attacker was from Indiana. This one is in Portland. Uh, now, again, this is uh, stemming from all of the, the race riots and everything else that's happening in Portland, Antifa, all of that stuff. So an Indiana man has been indicted on multiple charges, including attempted murder of two police officers stemming from separate riots in Portland last year in which he is accused of throwing Molotov cocktails at law enforcement. Um, on the Discord server today, the video was posted of the actual attack. So I'm going to include that in the daily show prep today. And if you're not a member of Discord, I suggest you hop onto trovo.live slash Casey the host and request to become a member of our Discord server because you're missing out. Uh, Malik Muhammad, good Protestant name, 24 years old, was arrested in Indianapolis on Friday in multiple warrants, including... Uh, was, according to the uh, district attorney in the Mult, Mult, Multnomah County uh, District Attorney's Office, uh, Muhammad will be extradited to Oregon, where he will face multiple felonies as part of a 28-count indictment, which includes charges of riot, unlawful manufacture of a destructive device, and attempted murder in the first degree. Prosecutors said the charges stem from four separate incidents in the fall of 2020, in Portland, where Muhammad allegedly traveled for the specific purpose of engaging in multiple criminal acts. It's kind of what everybody who traveled to Portland did last year. In the first incident, that was on September 5th, Muhammad, quote, engaged in tumultuous and violent conduct near the Portland Police Bureau's East Precinct that resulted in a grave risk of causing public harm. Later, on September 21st, Muhammad is accused of throwing a burning object described as a large yellow bottle similar to a beer growler. I got pictures of it here in this article. Towards a police vehicle occupied by a Portland Police Bureau sergeant during a demonstration um, near the, the Penubra Kelly building. So again, he threw basically a Molotov cocktail with a beer growler. Okay, uh, He threw that at the vehicle with a police sergeant inside the vehicle. And I believe that's the video that is up on our Discord server right now, which I'll put in the daily show prep today. Uh, the bottle had a burned rag stuffed in the mouth of it and contained a large amount of liquid. Uh, let's see. Third incident, which took place on September 23rd, just two days later, involved a similar burning object that prosecutor said Muhammad threw at a group of police officers outside of the county justice center. This time, the device exploded and a large fireball reached one officer. Okay, so the second the second incident, the previous incident, I'm looking at a picture of the bottle. That one didn't blow up. He, he, didn't, he didn't get the whole flammable thing right. The third incident, which happened on September 23rd of last year, that's the video that we have where he threw this Molotov cocktail at police officers. And it blew up. Uh, they put the fire out pretty darn quick, but at least one person caught on fire in the, in the video. Um, the device exploded. A large fireball reached one officer whose lower le lower leg was briefly briefly caught on fire. They got that fire out pretty quick, thank God. Uh, the fourth incident, which happened on October 11th, he laid low for a couple of weeks, involves allegations that Muhammad, again, Protestant, 
used a metal baton to smash out the windows of the Oregon Historical Society, Portland State University, Sprint T-Mobile, Bank of America, and Ben Bridge Jewelers. Police searched Muhammad and found a loaded magazine that fit a 9mm pistol that was recovered in the vicinity. So, well, I, you know, maybe there's some truth then that uh, Indiana is the reason for gun crime everywhere else because he's from Indianapolis and he traveled to Portland and he took a piece with him. Uh, Portland Police Bureau said that Muhammad is responsible for tens of thousands of dollars in damage to properties in downtown Portland. So they got him. They arrested him. Uh, he is being extradited to Oregon right now. He's in Marion County. He's uh, in, in the jail there, and he awaits extradition to Oregon, according to prosecutors. So, hey, who's your pride, right? Who's your pride? All right, let's uh, take a look at the southern border. And for those of you who are on the live stream here, let me just go ahead and get the uh, the window up and running for everybody so you can see what I'm looking at. Uh, let's see. Criminal alien arrests near the U.S. border have exceeded 4,500 in 2021. So what, we're four months into this thing. We're four months into this thing. And they've arrested more than 4,500 criminals at southern border. Um, there was a, um, a couple of rapists that got caught last week. I don't know if you saw that. They had already been kicked out of the country to coming back in. As the Border Patrol struggles to deal with the surge of migrants this fiscal year, one law enforcement source speaking on condition of anonymity told Breitbart, Texas, that more than 4,500 criminal aliens with serious records have been apprehended since October 1st, 2020, which is the beginning of the fiscal year. All right, so fiscal year, uh, not, uh, not the calendar year. The term criminal alien is not used by the Border Patrol to refer to migrants with standalone immigration violations. It is reserved for those with convictions or state and federal crimes like murder, rape, sexual assault, burglary, robbery, narcotics, and others. So there you go, 4,500 of them in the fiscal year. So that started in October. Uh, now, also in Breitbart, and by the way, we're going to have a special guest from Breitbart here at 3.30 to talk about China. Two Yemenis who are on the FBI terrorism watch list were also apprehended at the southern border in California. And for those of you on the live stream at trovo.live slash Casey, the host, you're, you're looking at them and by golly, looks like they tried to pass as Mexican. Hmm. El Centro sector border patrol agents arrested two Yemeni nationals who illegally crossed the border into the U.S. in separate incidents during the past two months. Agents identify both men as being on the FBI terrorism's watch list and the no fly list. Isn't that nice? There's a report out there that Biden may actually consider finishing some of the sections of the border wall that Trump started because people are pouring through over there. Wouldn't that be something? One, you're admitting that Trump was right. Two, you're admitting clearly this thing has gotten out of hand at the southern border. Uh, three, you're irritating your base who doesn't want you to keep any of these terrorists or criminals or, or traffickers out of the country. They want them all to come over. And that's what you want. I mean, let's let's not pretend. Every time they go and they do this man on the street and they talk to a, a liberal or, or some left-wing student or something like that, and they ask them, you know, should there be any borders? And they say, no, borders are, are bullcrap. Well, all you're saying is you want the terrorists to come in. You want the sex traffickers to come in. You want the cartels and the drugs to come in. You want the murderers and the rapists to come in. And you also want the people who just want to clean toilets and be indentured servants making almost no money and are basically trapped in a dead-end cycle for the rest of their lives. You, you want them to come in, too. Real nice. 
Yeah, it's so compassionate, so humanitarian of you. So, again, it, it's just another example. I told you before at the beginning of this that all of the old stories from the Obama era are going to be new again, every single one of them. And what did we have in the Obama era? A lot of terrorists disguised themselves as uh, Central and South American and Mexican in order to sneak into the United States. And a lot of them got through. We caught a lot of them, but who knows how many we didn't catch. And we know that some of them got through because we caught them later on after they had already been working on their plans. Real nice stuff, right? I talked about the U.S. Southern Command and how the U.S. Southern Command had issued huge warnings about terrorism at the southern border, and the Obama administration just ignored them. So much so that the U.S. Southern Command was perpetually on high alert. It was perpetually on high alert for terrorists at the southern border. The Obama administration didn't do anything about it. We got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Get into some very interesting things uh, from the CDC and AstraZeneca here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, not that AstraZeneca really affects the United States all that much, but we'll get into it. You'll understand what I'm, what I'm talking about here in a minute. AllNaturalCBD.org. This is where you go for the lotion. I still get this question probably three times a week. Casey, what's that CBD place again? AllNaturalCBD.org. Promo code KC10. You can also go to any local e-cig works, and you can get the same products at e-cig works. And my promo code works at every local e-cig works as well. Uh, if you do get a new employee who doesn't know about the code, just ask for the manager. They'll be able to square you away. But if you're looking for something to relieve pain that doesn't smell awful, you don't want to smell like a bunch of medicine or have this greasy, disgusting blob on you, this is a real lotion. It's a high-quality lotion, so it soothes and moisturizes the skin. It's absorbed very efficiently, and you get full-spectrum CBD. You can get 250, 500, or 1,000 milligrams of CBD in this lotion. You get a larger bottle, high quali higher-quality CBD, and you get it for a lower price. Go to allnaturalcbd.com. Dot org promo code KC10. All right, let's take a look at what's happening here. We've been following the AstraZeneca situation in Europe. Now, AstraZeneca vaccine isn't being used here, but it is being used in, in Europe. And it, it got stopped by a couple of countries after some serious side effects were discovered with it. And then we had these countries come out and go, well, there's actually no evidence at all. Yet several countries stop it because of reactions to it. And then they all came out and they said, well, actually, we don't really have any evidence that any of this is tied to the vaccine. So we're using the vaccine again. Well, now a clear link between the AstraZeneca vaccine and rare blood clots in the brain have been established. This is interesting stuff. Um, there is a link between AstraZeneca's COVID vaccine and very rare blood clots in the brain but the possible causes are still unknown. Now, this is according to a senior official at the European Medicines Agency, or the EMA, in an interview that was published, well, I guess today. Hey, Tuesday? Yeah, it was published today. In my opinion, we can say it, it is clear that there is an association with the vaccine. However, we still do not know what causes this reaction. Now, that is Marco Cavallari, the chair of the vaccine evaluation team at the EMA, he was talking to Italian daily uh, Il Messagaro. 
No idea. Hopefully I got that somewhere in the wheelhouse and didn't offend anybody. Um, so, you know, they were asking, obviously the press is saying, hey, are you sure about this connection? Because we've been told that there might be a connection. And then all these other countries are saying, well, there isn't a connection. He's like, yeah, we've established it's, it's the vaccine that's causing this. We just don't know how it's causing it. Now, keep in mind, this is AstraZeneca's vaccine. This is not Moderna. This is not Pfizer. And this is not Johnson & Johnson. This does not affect the United States. Just want to make that crystal clear. All right. I'm just pointing this out. Uh, Cavallari also added that the EMA would say that there is a link, although the regulator would not likely be in a position this week to give an indication regarding the age of individuals to whom these shots should be given. Um, So now they're looking at limiting who can actually get the shot as a result of this uh, side effect. Now, the CDC has finally caught up to me. Now, this is what I, I got to tell you. This is embarrassing. I don't say this glo- you know, gloatingly. I'm a radio host, guys. I'm supposed to I'm supposed to evaluate the news. I'm supposed to give you my opinion about stuff. I'm supposed to ask your opinion about stuff. I am not supposed to be outpacing the CDC on scientific research. It's embarrassing that somebody like me is doing that, to be perfectly honest with you. The last time I told you this was in November. So we're, we're going back... Six months. Um, I, I reiterated it again four months ago. But you go back in time, and we have a lot of research that says you're not going to get COVID from touching something. Okay? You're going to get it because it's airborne. Now, the World Health Organization doesn't want anybody to know it's airborne, even though the medical community has universally established COVID is airborne. There's still some people, even some pundits, that are like, no, 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 it's, it's really droplets. No, it's aerosolized, folks. It's airborne. That's what the medical scientific community all agrees on. The World Health Organization doesn't want anybody to admit that. You remember when the CDC finally did say, yes, this is an airborne virus? And then the World Health Organization called the CDC that very day and told them to take that down off of the website. And then like a week or so later, the CDC says, airborne, but not really airborne. None of it made any sense. Now, of course, the reason that they don't want you to know it's airborne is once you know it's airborne, guess what goes out the window? Any and all mask science. It's gone. Any and all mask science is completely out the window the moment people know it's airborne because those masks don't do jack squat for airborne particles and everybody knows it. Where they can be beneficial is with droplets. That's where they can be beneficial. As long as you're getting rid of any contaminated mask and you're sanitizing it, throwing it away, whatever. But the virus isn't really spread that way. It can be. It's just not the primary way that it spreads. Very rare for it to spread that way. But also touching uh, surfaces is really not going to infect you. So now this is... The CDC is now calling this, and I'm quoting them, hygiene theater. So all this sanitizing everything is now hygiene theater, according to the CDC. I've been telling you this for eight, nine months. And the last time that I gave you, I think, a new piece of data on this was four to six months ago. I know that I gave you something in November. I found something on my website from November. But I also have something from four months ago, and I'm pretty sure that I talked about it on the show. 
So the Center for Disease Control and Prevention is urging Americans to put more into better ventilation practices and less into sanitizing objects to stop the spread of COVID. You know, we're, we're what, 13 months into this thing as an epidemic in the United States? And they're finally getting around to this? This is something that was discovered really early on because guess what? People were going to the grocery store weren't getting sick. It is possible for people to be infected through contact with contaminated surfaces or objects, but the risk is generally considered to be low, the CDC said. I've been telling you this for a long time. And not because I'm a genius, but because that's what the actual medical research showed. The so-called hygiene theater is described as the high priority people are giving to sanitizing objects in fear of COVID-19, such as restaurants sanitizing everything from menus to window ledges, something the CDC said shouldn't be as high a priority to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Surface transmission of COVID-19 is not justified at all by the science, said Emmanuel Goldman, a microbiology professor at Rutgers, New Jersey Medical School. Now, that was in the Atlantic, July of 2020. So you've got this microbiology professor at Rutgers, New Jersey Medical School. We told you about this in July of 2020, telling you that there is zero science out there that justifies you getting COVID from touching surfaces. Now, remember, I just did one here recently that said, don't worry about doorknobs and stuff like that. You're not going to get COVID that way. I think that was the one that was four months ago. I'm almost positive. I, I would be willing to bet a lot of your lives on it, not my own, but a lot of yours that I told you about that on the show. So now the CDC has caught up to all of this, this research, and this has been the problem all along. Fauci has been behind on the medical research, sometimes by a year or more. The CDC has been behind at least six months on everything, and the World Health Organization just refuses to acknowledge any of the current data at all, mostly because China is controlling them. That's a real problem. And in fact, speaking of China controlling the World Health Organization, we're going to have Breitbart News National Security Deputy Editor John Hayward joining us in the next couple of minutes to talk about that very thing. That's next on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Boy, that could be the longest news break I think that we have ever had. Anyway, we've got a very special guest who I now feel really bad for having John Hayward, who is the National Security Deputy Editor for Breitbart News. I feel bad for having him on hold that long. John, how you doing, man? Welcome to the program. I'm doing great. There's no trouble at all. I can always use more news. Well, there's there's that. At least at least we're trying to give you at least a balanced approach to it. Man, we have got to That's talk about the World Health point. Organization. Uh, yeah, exactly. We gotta talk about the World Health Organization in China, man. This is this has been something that I have been on in December. It, it just it, tell me if this kind of if you hit you the same way in December, we're learning about all of this. China, in my opinion, was already acting very funny and the history with China and the World Health Organization. I had that in the back of my mind, but I instantly saw how China was shutting everything off. They weren't cooperating. They weren't helping. They were taking information offline. It seemed like China had been caught doing something they shouldn't be doing if not intentionally releasing this thing. Is that the same impression that you got pretty early on? 
That, that is. I have always thought the most likely explanation is that the coronavirus came out of one of China's laboratories in the Wuhan area, probably not on purpose, probably an inadvertent release, maybe bad handling of some animal products or something that got it out of there, and that once it began spreading through Wuhan, which clearly surprised the Chinese government, they had no idea it was going to be as bad as it was, once it started spreading, they made a conscious decision to export it to the rest of the world, and they did everything they could, including using their leverage at the World Health Organization to disable every effort to block the coronavirus and prevent it from spreading. All of a sudden, travel bans were the worst thing in the world. You couldn't even think about denying Chinese people access to your country. That was xenophobia. And so they made darn sure it got exported to every corner of the planet. And then once the whole world had it, China set about winning the political war over the coronavirus. And I think this World Health Organization report we're talking about was, to them, the capstone of that effort. They now have the report on the table from the international health body that says the laboratory release theory is the least likely possibility, even though there's no evidence for any of the others. And China's preferred conspiracy theories, like it came out of an American biolab, are being treated as if they were serious and, and we'll never know. I mean, basically, that whole report is who's saying, throwing up its hands and saying, we'll never know where this thing came from. That's the only way to really interpret it. That's a win for China. You know, and I had I lost track of how many things and people they've actually blamed, right? Because there was the army soldiers running the marathon there, and uh, they blamed India. They blamed a couple of other places. So China has this this revolving door of blame that they have been using. And when you talked about the political war, one aspect of that was making sure that nobody called it the Wuhan virus anymore or the China virus because they didn't want to be tied to it in any way. And, you know, Western social justice warriors were all too happy to accommodate them and continue to spread Chinese Communist Party propaganda. And now we've got this report like you're talking about where the World Health Organization, who has admitted freely in press conferences, they knew that this virus was transmitted from person to person in December. And yet all the way through mid-January was publicly telling everybody that wasn't the case. So we've got a real problem with the World Health Organization, but we also have the, the WHO advisor who says that this report isn't very credible. So there's at least some resistance to this latest report. Is that true? Yes, and I think that's a really interesting development. The director general of the World Health Organization, uh, the, the head of that group, is known to be sympathetic to China generally, Dr. Tedros. But he came out and said that report isn't really credible. He backed away from it, surprisingly so, when it came out. And I think when you get to the bottom of what he and other officials at the organization have said, it all boils down to them saying, hey, we'll never know where this thing came from, so take this report as our final word, you know, and let's move on. That's what everybody's kind of chanting in unison now. It's time to move on and work out a pandemic treaty and make sure that there aren't any future pandemics. But I think the, the more cynical people involved in this would say they're just accepting the reality that China will never permit a full investigation that would actually reveal the origins of the coronavirus. So we're going to go through the motions and try to flesh out these other theories. And meanwhile, let's look to the future and have good policies. I've read that entire report. It's about 120 pages long. It's pretty dense in the middle of it. But the most interesting thing about it is that there's almost no evidence for the concept of animals in nature spreading the coronavirus. That's the preferred theory. That's the most likely theory, they tell us. And yet they can't find any animals that actually did it. They found animals that have caught the coronavirus from humans, but they have yet to find animals that transferred it to each other or that could plausibly have given it to humans. And they've studied a huge volume of samples, and they can't find that missing link. And that's really interesting. 
interesting. And some of the, the scientists pushing back against this report have said that lack of evidence is quite damning. They should have found those animals, but they can't. And again, we're talking with John Hayward. He's with Breitbart News. He's the National Security Deputy Editor. Um, a while back, relatively early on in, in, well, I would say right before we got into last summer, John, there was a, a report that came out. It was a Russian, I, I think he was a, a virologist. I'm not exactly sure. I'm trying to draw from memory now. And he said that in, in the Wuhan laboratory, they were doing, quote, crazy things. Now, he said that they weren't doing it in a nefarious way. They were trying to, I guess, work on HIV. And, of course, the uh, the NIH has, you know, a history with working with Wuhan for HIV and everything else. But um, he said that what they were doing, essentially, is they were creating viruses from animals that could leap to human beings in order to try and fight them off. And that was supposed to help them in their fight against HIV. And he felt that that was extremely dangerous because now you're creating a whole new category of infectious diseases that we didn't have before. And lo and behold, we've got a coronavirus now. They tell us it comes from bats, right? And and here it is infecting human beings all over the world, even though there's very little evidence that this could even happen in nature, like you just pointed out. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's an interesting disease. You know, it's obviously horrible, and it's destroyed the entire world. It's it's shaken the world order to its very core, but we still don't really know exactly where it came from or exactly how all this got started, and none of the theories that we're looking at really fit the pattern of actual events that occurred. There's another story from before the pandemic began that the Chinese found some hideous disease in a cave somewhere. There was a cave not in Wuhan, but it was elsewhere in China, and some miners working in that cave got really, really sick and the disease they caught was brought to Wuhan for study and that some people think might have been what eventually became the coronavirus that we all know and love that that that's how it started so it could have been essentially benevolent scientific research or, or towards the idea of making cures not making a bioweapon but that doesn't change how dangerous the thing was or how it got released and until now it's been common knowledge the Chinese laboratories have very poor security procedures they of course bristle yes. with umbrage if you say this but this is like the worst kept secret in the world, that their laboratories have terrible security procedures and they're constantly losing track of materials that were given to them and having security breaches. Yeah, there was actually an inspection of this lab just a couple of years before the uh, the pandemic hit that said that there was great risk for anything getting out of this thing. So, you know, I, I talked about that early on in the pandemic too. It used to, we used to hear a lot about Europe, maybe potentially the United States, obviously with uh, regime change now in the U.S., that changes a little bit. Um, where the world was essentially looking to hold China responsible for this. Because at the end of the day, whether China intentionally released it or if it escaped from their lab, China clearly, clearly throttled the WHO and the international response while allowing it to spread globally with these international flights. And that is the, the one thing that nobody seems to disagree on at all, and China doesn't really have a defense on. We used to hear about this. We're going to make China pay. There's going to be something that happens from that after this pandemic is over. I don't hear any talk about that now. Have you heard any rumblings about that going forward or have countries basically said, we're just going to try and move on beyond this and look at this new treaty? I would say probably the only rumblings you hear about that come from Australia, which has been one of the most severe critics, the Australian government of China. And they've been demanding a full and open investigation, and the Chinese have been making economic war against them to punish yeah. them for doing that, for, for demanding the, to, to find out where the coronavirus came from. They seem like they're pushing pretty hard. But most of the rest of the world, I think, is slowly, gradually knuckling under to China's demands, mostly because they feel like it's a fait accompli. I think that's the vibe you get from this 
this World Health Organization report that this is the best we can do. We're never going to be able to answer these questions. And China is not so subtly telling everybody, if you keep hassling us about the coronavirus, we'll punish you if you hassle us about human rights and, and the abuses that we visit upon the people that are captive people in China. We will punish you. We'll, we'll make that hurt if you cause problems for us. But if you get along with us and you do what we want, then we can all get rich together. That's the message that China is, is sending around the world. And after this grueling, demoralizing year of the pandemic, that, that's a message that resonates in some quarters. There are people that are willing to just call this a draw and say, we'll never really know what happened in early 2020, but now we have to live in the new world that the coronavirus has made. And for my audience's benefit, let's not forget that China bought up all of Australia's PPE at the beginning of this thing, and they were basically left on their own. Uh, well, mm-hmm. John Hayward, great articles. you got three really great ones I'm going to put in my daily show prep for my audience today. I thank you so much for the time. I really wish I had more time with you, but we'll get you on another time again. Well, thank you very much for having me. All right. We appreciate it. we got more coming up. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Once again, I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. So yesterday we started off the show with they have no shame. Members of the media who lie to you on a regular basis, politicians who lie to you on a regular basis, um, any blue checkmark brigader on social media who lies to you gets caught and they have no shame. They're not embarrassed by it. They come back and they lie to you again. And I also told you that CBS, after spending a couple of years trying to rebuild their reputation, CBS is all of a sudden, they're throwing it out at the window and they're discrediting themselves again. 60 Minutes is running a fake story that has been debunked on Governor Ron DeSantis. And it's even a Democratic mayor in Florida is saying, I have told them the truth and they are ignoring it. CBS is straight up lying to everybody about Governor DeSantis. And, and the thing is, is, CBS doesn't care. 60 Minutes doesn't care. Their media allies are repeating the debunked lies. They don't care. They're just still doing it. Why? Because DeSantis is a threat to run for president, and he must be destroyed. More coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. I want to thank R&B Car Company, locations in South Bend and Warsaw. R&B Car Company are your used car experts. All right. NPR finally admitted that I was right. Took the months, but they finally admitted that I was right. So NPR has finally issued a correction and retracted a false statement about the U.S. intelligence discrediting the Hunter Biden laptop story. Now, here's the thing. This thing was authenticated last year, a long time ago, before the election, and they only just issued a correction. After all this time, NPR issued a correction to a book review that it published about Hunter Biden's memoir after claiming U.S. intelligence officials had discredited the story of the contents found on Biden's laptop, which, of course, never happened. NPR's book review of Beautiful Things, a memoir, details Biden's drug and alcohol problems, his relationship with Burisma Holdings, and accusations from former President Donald Trump and attorney Rudolph Giuliani about said relationship. So, again, 
Um, they, they've had to issue that correction. I don't need to go into great details. I'm just pointing out, you know, just like when we started the show yesterday, they have no shame when they get caught lying to people, when they get caught making huge mistakes and they don't own up to it and they continue to go out there and say those things on a perpetual basis and they're not embarrassed by it. Nobody pays a, a price for it. There's no political price. There's no professional price. There's no personal price, nothing. Because that's what that side of the aisle does. NPR, after all this time, after all this time, well over half a year. I mean, we're approaching, we're approaching a year at this point. They finally issued a correction after all that time. And they're not, they're not embarrassed. Their supporters are not embarrassed. Nobody's embarrassed. They, they won't take any, any serious damage from it. And that's the thing that's so frustrating about all of this is that, you know, None of this, none of this should in any way go, well, they shouldn't be able to escape it, I should say, because we already know who they are, what they do on a regular basis. They're going to go ahead and make things up for a political narrative. There was never any actual report that came out about intelligence, the intelligence community saying that. There was a letter from former intelligence community members who lied and in that letter admitted that they had no idea what was actually going on. And that was lied about by members of the press. But there was no actual assessment from the intelligence community that that laptop was not his and that the contents of the laptop had been debunked. Never happened. It was something that was literally made up out of thin air. They have no shame. Clarence Thomas is getting a little irritated. Justice Thomas, he could out a lot lately and... Generally speaking, Supreme Court justices don't do that. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg did it more than, than I think, probably any other one. Um, but she still tried to be diplomatic in the way that she went about most of those things. But generally speaking, Supreme Court justices don't really air their dirty laundry. And Clarence Thomas has made it extremely clear, extremely clear, that we should have, the Supreme Court should have taken the Texas case. He's continued to make a bunch of other statements about other cases the Supreme Court has refused to take. And now he is out in the front of this thing basically saying, it is, you know, it's the job of the Supreme Court. We have got to take on social media censorship of conservatives. We have to. And here's the thing. There's a lot of stuff in here that he says that I have pointed out to many of you in the past because this is when you have a public accommodation argument when it comes to a whole host of things, right? So you have a public accommodation for, oh, I don't know, a baker. You know, in that bakery, that bakery is one of those places where you have you can't deny service is what they were claiming, right? You can't deny service because your business is open and you have to accept all business. Now, it violates a whole bunch of tenants, but I digress. But that was their whole thing. If you're open to the public, you have to be open to everybody in the public, right? Now, the left doesn't actually believe that because they believe a lot of people who are out in the public realm should be denied service. They just want everybody on their side to be able to get service. And Clarence Thomas has kind of made the case for public accommodations. I have in the past, others have in the past as well. If the internet is basically a public space, then you can't deny its usage. 
just like any business is being argued in the United States right now, can't deny service to somebody based on what they believe. So even if digital platforms are not close enough to common carriers, legislators might still be able to treat digital platforms like places of public accommodation. It's a very interesting theory. Again, one you've heard on this show before. Although definitions between jurisdictions vary, a company ordinarily is a place of public accommodation if it provides lodging, food, entertainment, or other services to the public in general. Now, that's what Thomas wrote. Twitter and other digital platforms bear resemblance to that definition. Certainly, it's entertainment. In simple terms, the public accommodation offers goods and services to the general public. Thomas then directly hinted that legislators would then have the legal authority to prevent social media platforms from effectively censoring speech by comparing these companies to common carrier and public accommodations. Quote, the similarities between some digital platforms and the common carriers or places of public accommodation may give legislators strong arguments for similarly regulating digital platforms. It sends it stands to reason that if Congress may demand that telephone companies operate as common carriers, it can ask the same of digital platforms, he wrote. Now, this argument um, also gets very interesting when you start looking at net neutrality, especially since net neutrality basically makes the Internet a utility so the government can regulate it. Well, at that point, I, that would even strengthen the case that you can't allow censorship on your platforms. And I am not advocating that... Um, they be given that net neutrality come back in order to go ahead and do this. I'm not advocating that at all. Section 230. Uh, Section 230 obviously needs to be gotten away with. Uh, I'm sorry, anybody on the political right who says that Section 230 is not the problem doesn't know anything about Section 230. I'm convinced of it. And I have watched many very intelligent people who ordinarily are really bright on conservative issues completely mangle what Section 230 actually is and completely misapply how it is used in the legal framework of this country to protect social media companies. And it is very frustrating to watch that because, again, you're dealing with influential, very bright, prominent people who are voices on the right completely get this thing wrong. And what that does is, you know, there are people out there who are acolytes of people. And if you follow one of those individuals and you believe everything that individual says until they're, you know, until they apologize for getting something wrong, you're going to then go out there and go, well, Section 230 doesn't do these things. Well, yes, it does. That's the problem. I don't need to get into to Section 230. But the point is that Justice Thomas is being very vocal as of late. It is clear that he is frustrated with the way the Supreme Court is conducting itself. And it's clear that he is trying to publicly steer the direction of the court to at least hear cases and he's not you know he's obviously going to try and influence the uh the verdict when when these cases actually come before the court but he is clearly trying to steer the court to take some of these cases and he has made it very clear that the supreme court needs to be in on the censorship battle with tech giants it is uh, and honestly that's pretty much the only way that this thing is going to get solved you know the one piece of legislation that was introduced which by the way uh, when Republicans had control, okay, it was introduced. Republicans in the House did not bring it forward. Very simple piece of legislation. Fixed Section 230, made it extremely easy to follow. Basically what it did is it said if you, if you post something that is illegal 
or advocates for illegal activities, it can be removed. Nothing else can be removed. Made it real cut and dry. And that could include all sorts of offensive content. And again, a lot of people didn't like that. Um, but, you know, the Republicans didn't hear it. Now, Republicans have been terrible on the Internet for a very long time. You've heard me talk about this for a long time. Democrats just want to censor the heck out of it because this is the one of the last bastions. There's really two bastions for free speech for conservatives. The Internet, talk radio. And what does the left constantly try to do? Tries to shut down conservative voices on both of them. More coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Good afternoon. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. I want to thank you for tuning in. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I want to tell you about this amazing service at Z-Bart of South Bend that I have had done to both of my vehicles. I would have had it done to the motorcycle, but the motorcycle is flat black and ceramic Z-Gloss is not great for flat black paint because it'll make it glossy. Ceramic Z-Gloss paint coating is one of the signature services that is offered by Z-Bart of South Bend. We're not talking about going to the auto parts store and picking up a stupid little spray bottle and, and putting a ceramic coating on your vehicle that you have to apply every week that doesn't really hold up. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a full paint protection process where the ceramic coating that's going to be on your vehicle will make your vehicle shinier and brighter and wetter looking than your factory paint. And on top of that, the ceramic coating that is going to go on your, your vehicle is much more resilient and tougher than the clear coat of your vehicle. So you're now going to be better able to resist impacts, scratches, the UV, acid rain. Uh, it's also hydrophobic, which means water and dust and things like that are, are going to come off of your vehicle much easier. It's not going to stick. You don't have to scrub. Much easier to clean your vehicle. It has a seven-year warranty without needing any touch-ups. You don't need to wax or polish your vehicle for at least seven years. <clears throat> Excuse me, seven years with ceramic Z-Gloss paint coating. This is a phenomenal service. We have been thrilled to have this on our van. I have it on my new vehicle. Absolutely love it. it the car always looks amazing, even when it's dirty. And when it does get dirty, quick little wash off, boom. Just like that, the vehicle looks brand new. Go to Z-Bart of South Bend. Talk to them about ceramic Z-Gloss paint coating and let them know that I sent you. If you've got a high-end vehicle or a luxury vehicle, maybe a sports car or something like that, you definitely want ceramic Z-Gloss paint coating to protect your beautiful paint. Replacing your paint, not cheap. Ceramic Z-Gloss paint coating, much more affordable and will maintain the vehicle's paint for an extended period of time. You will not regret it. Z-Bart of South Bend, let them know that I sent you. All right, what else do we have here? <clears throat> okay. Let's take a look at some of the, the news of the stupid, shall we? All right, so we've got Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball, once again, um, decided to go woke on everybody. I know that. We touched on it a little bit yesterday, but they did relocate the All-Star game. And, of course, it's going to a state with voter ID laws and fewer early voting days than Georgia will have under its new Georgia law. Now, keep in mind, this was all to protest Georgia's new election law, which Biden and Democrats and the news media have been straight up lying to you about. Wherever you subscribe to my podcast, go listen. I just posted a podcast up there. Everything the Democrats are saying about this law is a lie. I posted that yesterday. Go listen to that and listen to some of the other podcasts around it where we touch on this subject as well. Major League Baseball's All-Star Game will be played in Denver following its removal from Atlanta 
in protest of Georgia's new restrictive voting law, according to multiple sources with ESPN. The annual Midsummer Classic had been set for July 13th at Truist Park, home of the Atlanta Braves, in addition to other activities connected to the game, including the annual draft. Now, keep in mind, the county is going to lose about $100 million. So tremendously damaging for a county that voted for Biden. Okay? Now, again, Colorado, Colorado (laughs) is much more restrictive in their voting laws than the new Georgia law is. So if you're protesting Georgia becoming too too Jim Crow-y, right, but you go to a place that has more restrictive voting laws than Georgia does, you're kind of defeating the point, right? Oh, unless you're virtue signaling and this doesn't have anything to do with substance at all. Exactly. We went over this with Schumer yesterday because New York, much more difficult for somebody to vote in New York than it is for somebody to vote in Georgia. And yet Schumer is like, oh, this is a racist law in Georgia. Yeah, well, then I guess New York is super racist, right? Colorado requires voter ID to vote in person, either a driver's license, an IRS-issued ID card, a valid passport, or a valid employee card with a photo. Now, this is one of the chief complaints from Major League Baseball about why they didn't want to be in Georgia anymore for the All-Star game in order to protest the Georgia laws that, well, it requires voter ID, and voter ID is racist. Only white people and race hustlers believe voter ID is racist. Nobody else does. The polls on this have been consistent forever, okay? Black America is not opposed to voter ID laws. Nobody is opposed to voter ID laws except for well-off white liberals who really want to get some extra extra points in the woke Olympics by running around and saying, yeah, it's totally racist for them to have an ID because they're, like, too stupid to get an ID and stuff, you know, because they're black, which is exactly what they're saying. Let's not... I'm I'm not going to beat around the bush anymore. Racist, well-off, white liberals do not believe that black Americans know how to get a driver's license or a voter ID, and they do not believe that they have vehicles or a way to get to their polling place to vote, which is a horrendous racist lie. You've got three major airlines who condemn the voter ID law in Georgia. Every single one of them requires you to show your ID before you get on the plane. Every single one of them. Every one. Wait, what, why, why, why would you oppose voter ID if you won't even let anybody on your plane? Right? Because it's virtue signaling. It's like the Democrats at every one of their events or the unions. God forbid the unions have an event. See, the unions and the Democratic Party routinely fight against voter ID laws. Yet they always require you to show your ID to attend one of their events. Every time. Been highlighting this for my entire career. Isn't that interesting? Wonder wonder why that is. Seems a little seems a little strange. Seems a little weird that they would do that. So I've got a couple of things with Jen Saki, and she got caught point blank because Biden, once again, lying about the Georgia law. And so Peter Ducey from Fox cornered her on it, and she lied through her teeth again. Shocker. That's coming up, 95.3 MNC. Hey, 
and good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. All right. I want to thank R&B Car Company. First of all, we'll dive into this, this audio here from Jen Saki, who makes a fool of herself every day that she does it. She's so terrible at being the uh, press secretary. She's not good at it at all. She's good at making music, though. That Circle Back Saki song is real good. Uh, but I want to thank R&B Car Company. Locations in South Bend and Warsaw. If you're looking for a used vehicle, please visit them online at rbcarcompany.com and then visit their showroom in either South Bend or Warsaw and let them know that I sent you. So I'm going to play some audio here. Uh, I sent it to Joe here just a minute ago. This is Peter Ducey over at Fox, and he's pointing out that Biden's claims about the Georgia voting law were fact-checked, and they're wrong. Biden is straight up lying, as everybody else is, about the Georgia voting law. And so he asked Jen Psaki about it. Well, given that this has been fact-checked and none of this is true, is Biden going to be changing the way that he talks about this bill? And just watch her dance. Well, listen to her dance around this and just not answer the question. And then the answer that she does give, which is a non-answer, is also false. Everything the Democrats and the media are saying about the Georgia voting law is a lie. We've been over this already several times. And I know that I'm doing this way less than a lot of other people. So there's other folks that have gone into far more detail about this than I have. I picked some of the most absurd things about this. But others have actually broken this entire thing down. This is not a very difficult law to understand. It's well written. Very easy. Very common sense. It's common sense election reform is what it is. But I want you to listen to this exchange. It's only about a minute and a half, but it's so telling. And it goes right back to what I started the show with yesterday. They have no shame. Roll it, Joe. And then just one more quick one on Georgia to put a bow on it. Um, is the president going to change the way that he talks about the new Georgia voting law? Because uh, in that interview that you referenced, he said the law would end voting at 5 o'clock when working people are just getting off. And he said it would end voting hours early so working people can't cast their vote after their shift is over. But the Washington Post gave that claim for Pinocchios because that part of the law gives counties the option to extend voting hours. And so I'm just curious if the president is going to change the way that he's talking. Well, fundamentally, the president doesn't believe it should be made harder to vote. He believes it should be easier. Uh, and this bill makes it harder to request and return an absentee ballot. It collapses the length of Georgia's runoff election, making it harder for large jurisdictions to offer early voting. It imposes rigid new restrictions on local officials' ability to set polling hours to suit the needs of voters in their county. Those are all pieces of the bill. So his uh, view is that we need to make it easier and not harder to vote, and that will continue to be what he advocates for. But the thing he said has been determined by election law experts to be not true. So I'm just curious if he's going to stop saying that. Well, again, I think we can, uh, the fact checkers will also tell you that uh, this bill does not make it easier for people across the state of Georgia to vote. And that's where he has concerns. Okay. Um, she's wrong on that too. But, you know, this has happened several times now where she has been confronted with the fact that Joe Biden lied about something. And that it was fact-checking. He's like, well, is he going to change? Is he going to correct that? Is he going to change the way he's talking about it? Because, you know, the last time this came up, you know, Ducey was like, hey, 
he keeps repeating this lie about how many people COVID has killed. That has killed more people than the world wars in Vietnam combined and all that other stuff. None of that's true. It never has been true, by the way. And it's been repeatedly fact-checked. He's been saying it for months. And so Ducey and even some others are like, hey, is he going to stop saying that thing? Because it's completely not accurate. Her response, and what I found so interesting about that, her response when she was confronted that, hey, Biden keeps repeating this lie, that has been debunked several times already. Why is he continuing to lie about this? And she said, if that's a really important issue for you, then I guess you can focus on that, but it's it's really not all that important. And I've, I've watched liberal websites who post this like, yeah, go get him, Just bat him away, swat him away. You, no, Biden has repeated a lie. It's been fact-checked. It's not accurate. It's not true. He's been told it's not true. And he continues to say it. Keep in mind, Biden is a perpetual serial liar. He has been his entire career. And the left's response to that is, it's not important that he's lying about that. Therefore, it's not important at all. A little lie. It's not a little lie. It's kind of the whole point of his COVID strategy, but I, I digress. So... Even in her response, where she said the Georgia law makes it more difficult for people to vote. And that's really what, what Biden's complaint is. Except it doesn't. It actually makes it a lot easier for a good chunk of the population to vote. But it just ramps up verification of who you are. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki responded to questions from reporters on Monday about Georgia's new election security law, including the debunked for Pinocchio claim made by Biden that the bill restricted the ability of local officials to set polling hours. That's actually not true. It actually improved their ability to set polling hours. So she went right back. She goes, see, it does this. No, it doesn't. It does the exact opposite. Places that used to have to close down at five now can be open until later. Saki, apparently a fan of the movie, uh, entered her own submission to earn some Pinocchios and doubled down on the false claim. Quote, is the president going to change the way that he talks about the new Georgia voting law? Now, again, that's that's um, uh, uh, Peter Ducey. Because, and he, he references that. Well, fundamentally, the president doesn't believe that it should be made harder to vote. He believes it should be easier, Saki said. And this bill makes it harder to request and return an absentee ballot. It collapses the length of voter runoff, uh, Georgia runoff elections, and it makes it harder for large jurisdictions to offer early voting. She also goes on to say it imposes rigid new restrictions on local officials' ability to set polling hours to suit the needs of voters in their county. That is not true. That's inaccurate. In an analysis of the bill, Stephen Fowler of Georgia Public Broadcasting wrote one of the biggest changes in the bill would expand early voting access for most counties, adding an additional mandatory Saturday and formerly codifying Sunday voting hours as optional. Counties can have early voting open as long as 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. or 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at a minimum. Not a maximum, a minimum. But when you live in a world in which the answer to a math problem is however you feel that day, I suppose it's easy to confuse minimum and maximum. If you live, Fowler said, if you live in a larger metropolitan county, 
you might not notice a change. For most other counties, you will have an extra weekend day and your weekday early voting hours will likely be longer. So you get an extra day on the weekend to vote and you get longer hours to vote. It doesn't make it more difficult. It doesn't restrict hours. That is a debunked lie. It was debunked the day after the first story was written about it. Charles Stewart III is an election expert at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT. He told the Washington Post, I had also heard this generally reported as expanding early voting, so I'm surprised by the characterization. No. Uh, according to the Washington Post, Stewart, Charles Stewart III from MIT, studied the precise language changes at our request. So Washington Post said, hey, could you, election expert at MIT, can you analyze this bill and tell us what you think? And he said it indicated an expansion of hours, especially in rural counties. I think that's the problem. See, the problem isn't that it made it easier to vote. The problem isn't that it added an extra weekend day for you to be able to vote in Georgia. The problem isn't that it expanded hours for you to be able to vote in Georgia. No, the problem is it leveled the playing field for rural counties. Urban counties, higher Democratic population. Rural counties in Georgia, more Republican. That's their problem with the bill. It removes some things that they've been doing with fraud, but also it allows rural counties some extra benefits that everybody gets. But we're always a negative for rural counties and only rural counties. Lots of voting centers in urban areas, not a lot of voting centers in, in, in rural areas. That's the crux of it right there. They're ticked off that red districts will now have a better ability to show up to the polls. They will have the same ability, almost the same ability as urban areas. That is the entire issue with this thing. So you've got experts all over the country telling you that what the Democrats and what the media allies of the Democrats are saying about this are not true. And you just have them even coming out of the White House, lie after lie after lie after lie after lie. More coming up, 95.3 MNC. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. So I got asked a question yesterday on the live stream, and obviously we've talked about Nutrition HQ for a long time. I've just cycled back on Virilitat. And somebody said, hey, Casey, so what is it? actually that you take from nutrition hq you know what's your stack that you're taking right now and right now my stack is really light you know it tore my shoulder a few months back I'm just getting back in the gym but i've got to go really light with it just because of that so i'm not doing anything crazy i'm not even using pre-workout right now so here's here's what i have i've got protein I've got a couple of different proteins from nutrition hq i've been telling you for years they have the best tasting protein period end of story if you go to the grocery store and you buy protein stop First of all, most of that is junk and low quality. Most of it doesn't taste good. Most of it doesn't even dissolve into the water or the milk that you're stirring it with. Just don't do it anymore. Go to Nutrition HQ, get yourself a real protein. Many cases, they can actually op open one up and you can actually sample it there. Not for everything, but they have a lot of that stuff available for you to try it before you even buy it. 
You don't want to get home, have a protein that tastes disgusting, and you'll never consume it. I also take Virilitat. Like I said, I'm cycling back on Virilitat right now. Men, this helps boost your natural testosterone levels. So your vitality, your energy, your ability to maintain your muscle mass and build new muscle mass is better. Uh, the ability to burn fat is more efficient. It's just a great, it's the foundation of your, your program if you're over 35 years old. It's a fantastic product. Absolutely love it. And the other thing, I do TB16 a couple of times a week, right? Just depending on, on how I'm feeling. But I take a multivitamin, including a multivitamin that has D3 and zinc and magnesium and all of that stuff. That's all there at Nutrition HQ. 5804 Grape Road in Mishawaka. They've got a whole women's section also, ladies. And again, um, use my promo code uh, to go ahead and get yourself 10% off. Got more coming up. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Uh, we got some news of the stupid stuff uh, for this half hour, so just stay tuned. I had some, oh, 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 I've got a third story. I forgot all about that one. Jeez. All right. Some extra dumb stuff, okay? First, want to thank R&B Car Company. Locations in South Bend and Warsaw, R&B Car Company are your used car experts. All right. I feel like this is just the theme of the week. Um, no shame, liars, degenerates. It's just kind of what's happening this week, okay? Just how things are unfolding in the news. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't write it that way, but that's how it happened. Police are being called gangsters after an incident in the Oklahoma County, in the Oklahoma County Jail. Now, what ended up happening is one of the inmates got a hold of a knife. The inmate held the knife to a corrections officer's throat. The inmate was then shot to death by other corrections officers. All right, I don't see the problem. They're being called gangsters. Black Lives Matter protests. See, this is how you know your entire movement is is a clown show. Black Lives Matter, which is supposed to be an organization about you know, helping black people are being abused by the system and by society and everything else. But that's not at all why they were founded. That is not at all what their mission statement is. That's not what their goals are. That's not what their methodology is about. The National Black Lives Matter organization, again, individual chapters of Black Lives Matter around the country um, do those sorts of things. And they're not insane and they're not crazy and they're full of good people, well-meaning people. A lot of well-meaning people, you know, will march in solidarity with Black Lives Matter, but they don't know anything about the national organization. And the national organization is straight up a Marxist organization. They hate America. They hate white people. They hate the black family. They hate fathers. They hate men in general, unless men could be used to exploit out in rioting. They're just an awful, horrible group of people. And they're crooks. They steal from their own chapters, which is one of the reasons why so many local Black Lives Matter chapters are now raising complaints about the national Black Lives Matter, again, because they did this a few years ago, too, that they're, they're taking all the money and they're just keeping the money or they're, you know, going and they're passing it through to the Democratic Party. They're not giving it back to the local chapters to do things in their community. And so slowly but surely, some of these local cha chapters are waking up to what is actually going on. But now you're faced with a decision. Do you split from Black Lives Matter, which is, again, just gained huge notoriety? to start your own thing and actually do some good, or do you stay a part of that movement? That's the decision that has to be made. And unfortunately, most people are not going to have 
um, the ability or the will to go out on their own. They want to stay attached to this organization because otherwise they'll become irrelevant. And ultimately, that's what these social justice groups are about, making money and getting noticed, not about helping, helping anybody. So Black Lives Matter protests, okay? They protested over an inmate who got killed by corrections officers after the inmate held a knife to the throat of another corrections officer. They protested that. In response to Black Lives Matter protests, officials last week released body camera footage showing officers entering the jail after inmates had taken control of one pod inside the Oklahoma City facility. The video contained graphic content of the moment that inmate Curtis Montrell Williams, 34, confronted police. In the video, he stood at the top of the staircase, held an object to the neck of the corrections officer, Danielle Misquez. After a brief confrontation during which someone said he's got a knife, two gunshots were heard. Williams fell to the landing where he was standing and Misquez tumbled down the flight of stairs. The makeshift knife was later recovered. So it's, it's, it's a shiv, a shank, if you will. Michael Washington, leader of the Oklahoma Coalition Against People Abuse, blamed Oklahoma City Police Chief Wade Gurley for the incident. Quote, we're fed up with an incompetent excuse for a police chief who refuses to do the right thing and guide procedures and mannerisms of his officers, he said. That's what he said on KOKH-TV. All right, Cupcake, what should police have done differently? This should always be the question that you ask. Whether you're talking about guns, you're talking about voting laws, whatever it is, this should always be the question that you should ask. And inevitably, you will not get an answer. You've got an inmate. The inmates, first of all, took over the entire, the entire cell block. Okay, So inmates take over this entire cell block. Corrections officers are now at the will of the inmates. One inmate has made a knife and is holding it to a corrections officer's throat. What are the officers supposed to do? Do they let him kill the guard? Or do they back off just hoping he doesn't kill the guard? Or do they take action like they did and they end the situation and regain control of the block? You know what else happens when, when cell blocks get taken over by inmates? Other inmates are murdered. They're targeted. Oftentimes, that's why cell block revolts even happen. It's under the guise to be able to kill somebody and just, as ah, the riots, and then you know plausible deniability of who's actually responsible, that sort of thing. This happens with some regularity. It's not commonplace. So if you don't take control of the block, you're also risking the other inmates' lives. Rival gangs, inmates said something to the wrong person. You know what it is. Paid hits, everything else. In a direct rebuke to Gurley, he added, You have turned your head and allowed your officers to be violent, disruptive, and even murderous. You are nothing but a group of gangsters. The inmate was being violent, though. The inmate was threatening the life of a corrections officer. He had a knife to his throat. This is how you know the whole movement's a joke. If people want to take organizations like Black Lives Matter seriously, those organizations have to stop acting like idiots. They have to actually care about the people they propose to be caring about. But they don't. When you have a, a movement that runs around and defends the worst people who do heinous, horrible things, 
you don't have any legitimacy. None. Now, if this had been an inmate who's just sitting in the corner minding his own business, trying not to be involved, and they come in and they kill him, you got a story. I'm with you on that. That's not what happened. Let's see. Uh, Gurley on Friday said the incident began around 4 p.m. on March 27th when citizens alerted authorities that a Facebook Live video from the 10th floor of the jail seemed to indicate inmates had gained control of the facility. This is another thing that we're seeing, too, is like uh, inmates being able to have cell phones and do like Facebook Live and stuff. That's another thing that we're seeing happen. Now, I don't know if they're officially allowed to have it but, or they're just sneaking it in. I don't know. You'd think that somebody would be monitoring that. But, I mean, during the time, Misquez, the corrections officer, whose hands were handcuffed behind him, was already stabbed several times in the leg. He was hit in the head, and he was sprayed with his own pepper spray. So the corrections officer had already been stabbed, pepper sprayed, and beaten, and he was handcuffed with his arms behind his back. He ended up taking a tumble down the stairs, too, as a result of this. And the guy that was holding a knife to his throat is the innocent guy? He's the victim? Whole movement's a joke. The entire thing is a joke. Not done yet. The federal government looks like they're going to force companies to report pay based on race and gender, which is going to be real interesting. We'll talk about that next on News Talk 95.3, Michigan's news channel. And if you want further context on that prison shooting that we were just talking about, I have the video in today's daily show prep. Just be warned, graphic content. Uh, but I do have the video in the, the show prep today, which shows the tactical team going in. It shows the inmate, what he was posting on Facebook Live, the, the shank that he made, um, how he was, was uh, holding it against the officer's neck. The officer was on his knees. Basically, the tactical team came came right in, and they just, yeah, just a double tap, took him out. Officer fell down the stairs hard. Um, glad he's okay, considering everything he went through. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's graphic content, but it gives you context of what actually happened. And I'm sorry, but anybody who's upset at the actions of prison officials that day is a scumbag. I don't know, I don't know how else to describe it. All right, so let's talk about this other story here. Uh, for those of you on the live stream, let me just throw this up for you so you can see it. It's been a couple of segments since I've had anything up there. So, federal government is likely to force companies to report pay by race and gender. All right, so I've got a couple of issues with this. One, I don't think that a company should be forced to do this. Uh, two, I think it's going to shatter some narratives. <laughs> There's a part of me that's like, this might backfire on you guys. You really want to do this, but... At the same time, obviously, you know, I, this should be a company's uh, business and, and that sort of thing. Now, I don't have a problem with the employees going around and telling each other what they made. I know that generally speaking, you're not supposed to talk about that sort of thing and, and all of that stuff. But, you know, at, at the same time, I also I, I kind of buy into the premise. It really depends on the job, right? So if you're all doing the same thing, yeah, Talk about it, because there might be somebody who's not making nearly as much as the others are, and there may not be a reason for that. Uh, if you're in a field, lack of better word, like I'm in, it's a little bit different, because obviously talent is doing different things. They're in different day parts. They have different sponsorships and contracts and that sort of thing, and so it's a little bit different. 
And if we talk about it openly in the building, it can cause some real problems that may not be justifiable problems. Uh, so, you know, just interesting stuff uh, when it come, comes to that pay. So federal authorities are expected to instate a never-implemented Obama-era rule mandating that companies provide the government with employee pay data broken down by race and gender. What is there another category for the gender thing, though? I have questions about that. If somebody's a trans person, do they qualify as a woman? Or as the, as the, the gender they identify as? Does it go into that category? Does it go into a different category? Heck, I don't know. Now, that's another thing. If you're a guy and you want to transition into being a woman, I don't know why you'd want to take a pay cut. Because it's automatic. So, like, if, if you're, you know, Richard on a Friday and you come in on a Monday and now you're Henrietta... Um, your boss is mandated to now just give you 83 cents on the dollar, right? Right? I mean, we're told that's how it works. So I, I'm just I'm just throwing it out there. If you're a guy on a Friday and you're a gal on a Monday, your employer's probably automatically going to give you 83 cents on the dollar. So you get a pay cut just because now, now you're a woman. How many people did I trigger? Both of you? Great. So <laughs> it's just such a stupid thing. Think of, okay, basic economics here. All right. First of all, the wage gap is a myth. We've already debunked it a million times. There isn't any non-debunking it. It, it. it just is a myth, okay? But let's say it wasn't. Women are as capable as men, right? That's for every job. Every single one, including powerlifting, women are as capable as men. And you can get them for cheaper? There isn't a boss in the world who wouldn't have an entire female workforce. Women can do the exact same job that all the guys can't, and I can pay them less? Yes. That would... you kidding me? Men would be out of work if that were, if that were really the case. But it's not the case, because it's all a giant piece of nonsense since I'm not on, on, on cable or satellite right now. The Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, which works to enforce federal civil rights laws against workplace discrimination, except for one demographic of people, is likely to start requiring companies with more than 100 employees to include pay data, uh, pay equity data, in their employer information reports. The idea behind collecting the data was that the EEOC would use it to identify and target companies that had a pay gap, interpreting differences in pay as discrimination. What if we find out, just asking questions, what if we find out the white people at the company are getting paid less than everybody else? What if we find out the women are making more money than the men? Does the information automatically get sealed at that point? Does Judicial Watch have to go through and then do a FOIA request and then file a lawsuit to get the data to, to be released to the public? I'm telling you, and again, I completely oppose this. Just on the premise that a company, a private business, would have to justify salaries to the government, which is straight-up socialism. So I oppose this on that premise. But at the same time, I've got a feeling there's going to be a lot of butthurt liberals out there. Because those narratives are going to start to go away a little bit. People are going to start finding out, oh, wait a minute, hold on a second, for the exact same job? Oh, turns out the women are being paid more than the men, which in many industries, by the way, is the norm, especially for women in their 20s right now. 
Women in their 20s and their early 30s get paid more than men across the board. Very interesting stuff. The EEOC says that the workforce data is shared with other federal agencies, and although the data is confidential, sure, aggregated data is available to the public. Right. Uh, the rule was announced in October of 2016 by Obama. I think I remember covering this. Uh, it was at the, uh, the Office of Management and Budget. But Trump administration scrapped the requirement for the next year before it went into effect, citing privacy concerns as well as doubts about how useful the information actually is and the burden that it could place on companies, which it clearly does. I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of extra work that goes into this. I mean, human resources departments are going to have to work extra now, you know, to compile all of this stuff, meet all the requirements, the, the opportunity for fines and punishment from the federal government because you didn't do everything just, just right. It's, that's all there. So, you know, based on just sheer morality, this is wrong. But wouldn't it be interesting? Wouldn't it be interesting if we end up finding out that a lot of these narratives that are pushed by the left in this country, which have been debunked by think tank after think tank after think tank and just basic rudimentary data, what if the government's own report once again shows that it's a myth? Now, for the record, the government's own data and own reports has debunked a lot of this type of stuff, and they haven't cared at all. They don't care one, one iota, one wink. What they do at that point is then they move away from the government and they go to third-party activist groups compiling data like they did with guns. Remember forever the left was like, we need federal gun data. We need to get all sorts of crime statistics and everything else about shootings and guns and what were used and what calibers and everything else. And so they did that. And what did it do? It completely destroyed the gun control narrative. So then they said, the government data is incomplete and unreliable. So we're going to go over here to every town for gun safety, a totally unbiased source. And we're going to go and look at their data, which they've just manufactured literally out of thin air. And that's what their data is going to be. They do the same thing on feminist issues, too. Actual state and federal data on feminist issues doesn't comport with the narrative. So what they do is they go to activist groups and they use that data instead. And that data is not real data, manufactured, totally incomplete, oftentimes completely leaves out entire swaths of the data set in order to steer the narrative because that's their job. They're an activist group. I mean, if you're an activist group who's trying to raise money and get attention for being an activist group and then your own data says that you're wrong, can't release that to the public, can you? You're kind of toast at that point. So they manipulate it and they change it around. With the gun control issue, every time for gun safety, what they do is they start categorizing everything as a mass public shooting, even things that weren't shootings. And I'm not exaggerating. We've gone over that many times on the show. Shootings that never happened are categorized as mass public shootings by every town for gun safety. <laughs> they changed the actual definition of what a mass shooting is. It went from, because it's four for mass public shooting, it went down to two. See how this works? So on principle, on morality, this is totally wrong to have this type of a program, but I also think it's going to shatter some narratives. But they won't care anyway. They'll just move on to the activist data. Got more coming up. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. This is Casey Hendrickson. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. 
I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. So, uh, Fact is investigating the Lincoln Way West crash with the motorcycle. And it's like a Nissan and a motorcycle. Um, and it doesn't look good for the motorcycle. Serious injuries are involved. So Fact is out there investigating at this point. Um, nobody has at this point passed away. And we certainly hope that that doesn't happen. But Fact is involved. So keep, uh, keep an eye on that story. Well, I mean, look, it's warm weather and motorcycles are everywhere now. You know, I was got out for the first time, was it uh, yesterday, the day before? And, I mean, I ran into a ton of people riding. Ton. Yeah, it wasn't yesterday. It was the day before. Ton of people. So, a lot of folks are out there on that on their bikes now. So, just, you know, be aware. Be careful. If you're on a bike, be careful. I know some people get a little rusty if they're not riding for a while and, and that sort of thing. Just, you know, use extra caution. All right. A woman was asked at a restaurant in Georgetown to adhere to their policy. So they have a 90-minute seating policy. So they simply asked this woman, hey, we got a 90-minute seating policy. That's it. So you're there for an hour and a half. All right, cool. Um, (laughs) Christy Riggs was with some guests at Martin's Tavern in Washington, D.C., when she was asked to comply with the restaurant's 90-minute seating policy designed to allow more people to eat at the establishment given the district's COVID-19 policies that still require restaurants to operate at 25% capacity. Riggs did not take the request well. She accused two restaurant employees of racially profiling her after they asked her and her guests to vacate so more patrons could be seated. The customers waiting to be seated happened to be two white women. Oh, see? See how that goes? So the the not-white women were asked to leave after they were there for over 90 minutes, and the white women wanted to be seated, and so naturally, racism. <laughs> uh, Riggs actually included that the white women were the ones waiting uh, in her complaint to the Washington City paper. Riggs then claimed that the restaurant tried to get her and her guests to leave even before... Their night window was over and alleged the restaurant didn't treat a nearby table of white diners in the same fashion. She also compared herself to Rosa Parks. Okay. She says, I was Rosa Parks at Martin's Tavern in Georgetown. I was made to get up and leave the restaurant so that two white women could have my table. Oh, boy. So she is demanding that the two employees involved in the incident be fired. Um, she's demanding that the tavern be closed for two days to provide mandatory sensitivity and diversity training, create ongoing accounts or business relationships with at least three black-owned vendors, uh, provide regular management training for job placement at Howard University students, and make an annual contribution of at least $2,500 to the United Negro College Fund in Riggs's name, which, of course, is racist. So, <laughs> now, the owner of the tavern... Um, listened to the complaints, went back, looked at the tape, found out that she was violating the tavern's rules. So, hey, there you go. Racism. Got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. All right. I teased this yesterday, and I wanted to make sure I got to it before the end of the show. 
So on America's Newsroom, which airs on Fox, this is on Friday, the Arizona National Guard Adjutant General Michael McGuire, um, he said that based on the people who are coming across the southern border who are not from Mexico, Central America, or South America. Earlier today, we talked about two Yemeni terrorists who are on the watch list uh, were captured at the southern border. And this is, like I said, all the old stories from the Obama era are going to be new again. So he said that he is convinced, based on the people that are coming across the southern border, that there is, and I quote, a worldwide marketing campaign to smuggle people across the border by the cartels. Yeah. Now, you and I have probably known that for an extended period of time. I've certainly known that because, again, I'm from the Southwest, and this is clearly an issue there. Uh, McGuire said the reports from the sectors here in Arizona is that we're seeing a lot of folks crossing illegally. They're being apprehended. They're making a claim for asylum as they are crossing. They're not from Mexico, Central, or South America, but they're actually from Africa, Asia, and even Europe. So we assume either flying in or coming in by boat and then trafficked by the cartels across the border, which creates a huge situation as most of them are claiming asylum. And again, they claim asylum because the asylum system has been exploited by the cartels in the United States for, uh, well, they've been exploited by the cartels in Mexico getting into the United States when they smuggle people in here for a number of years now. So our assessment is that there is a worldwide marketing campaign. And his assessment is a hundred percent correct. It is absolutely what is on. All right, ladies and gentlemen, go to theburningtruth.us. Again, my website. Sign up for my newsletter. It is totally free. That's how you get the daily show prep today. Uh, friendly reminder: there is graphic video in the daily show prep today, so don't click on that video unless you can do so safely or you're comfortable doing it. Uh, but again, totally free. Sign up for the newsletter. Get the daily show prep podcast. All of that stuff. Here's Bill O'Reilly. Have a wonderful night.